Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it'll help others to learn about autism stories. When I see a TV show with autistic characters played by autistics and written from the neurodiversity affirming perspective, I want to know more. That's why I reached out to Justin Janison, and he was so kind to join me to discuss his TV show, What's the Rule, as well as discuss starting his media company. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Justin, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as I get older and older, you know, one of the things that I've realized that I love is seeing people do things that they love, especially young people doing with what they love. So I know you've created a media company, NDEP Media. At, did I pronounce that right? I, I pronounce it in depth because then the I, it's IEP because I had an IEP. And that's why the I, the E, and the P are capitalized, and a lot of us did. So that's the little tidbit. Not because some people realize it, not everybody does. And if you're outside the U.S., you don't really know because most countries don't do IEP. They call it something else. Yeah, but about to be, I forgot what it's called. But like every country's different. So I know you created your company at 18 years old with the mission to create jobs and opportunities for disabled artists, what made you kind of decide to create a company like that? I, okay, that's a great question. So growing up, I have a twin sister who's higher support needs autistic. And so I realized that she's doesn't have access to a lot of the same opportunities that I do. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though not necessarily that film isn't one of her passions, at least I don't think it is unless she's been not telling me something for years but uh, I knew that I wanted to do something that would allow me to tell the stories that I wanted to tell while also giving opportunities to those who might not be able to ex go on a traditional film set or because of whether it's the sounds or they can't get into a traditional four-year university or all of these other barriers to entry because Yes, people say all the time that filmmaking has gotten so much more accessible and all this stuff because of smartphones and everybody having a camera in their pocket. And I think that that's true to an extent, but for disabled people, there's still that high barrier to entry because for anybody to take your work seriously, you do need, one, you need a good story, but you also need good sound, you need good lighting, you need all this stuff. And so I decided that as I was going to go through my years of film school, I was going to take what I learned and apply it with the hopes of one day being able to provide opportunities for disabled artists that would not otherwise be in existence. And, you know, I know your company's looking to uh, create jobs and opportunities for disabled artists. 
Are there some specific type of opportunities you're le- you're looking to support disabled artists in, you know, kind of being able to enter in- into those positions? Yeah, so we are still very, very small, which shocks a lot of people because it's basically, right now, it's still me and a team of a few other amazing people. Us, we're just all running it out of our bedrooms, pretty much. And we're just always developing content and other materials for brands and such. So we're very busy, but we're still very, we're still in that, you know, that startup phase. And so right now we have some projects that we are currently in talks for financing for. And if those go through, we will be, I would be able to answer that question better because right now we're operating with a very, very limited budget. So right now it's really just I give people the opportunities that I can give them. If somebody reaches out to me, there are people that reach out and are like, hey, I'd love to work with you on X, Y, Z. I saw what's the rule. I saw some of the other stuff you did, loved it. And I've, and it's flattering, but I don't have opportunities at the moment. But there's we also have like this. I add people to an ever-growing spreadsheet of people <laughs> with the hopes that one day if I have an opportunity or someone says, hey, Hey, I need and I want to have I want to be able to support a disabled artist in New York, let's say, or Kentucky and we need a set PA. Do you know anybody that that might be interested and I can say, "Oh, okay, so say you wanted it and your name was on the list." I'd say, "Oh, Doug is interested in doing it." And I'd give them your contact and they'd reach out to you or eventually when we go down that because we've got so much in development and I have never honestly been more excited to see all these projects come to fruition. Yeah, I don't know what I could offer um, uh, in terms of media, but if you do need an autistic podcast host, I'm your guy. Just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned uh, What's the Rule, um, which is a neurodivergent coming of age dramedy. I think that's how it's characterized. Yeah. Now I had the chance to watch the first episode and it really is wonderful. You know, Thank you. one aspect of it of what's the rule is that is wonderful is that the majority of the cast is disabled. So what what's mm-hmm. been what was kind of your process in selecting the cast? Funnily enough, so we start what's the rule when it started out was so different primarily because well, the biggest difference was Jack was a dude and Jack's not a dude and Jack's a female she her and so but that was something that came about way later in the process because we were trying to find actors and it's right now one of the things I want to I'm hoping to do once we get with partners that can do it trying to figure it out is there's no real way like when you go through the traditional sites and all those cast of websites, there's no true way to s- sort by disability, which, I mean, shouldn't always be a thing, don't get me wrong, because we don't want to stifle disabled artists from being able to take non-disabled roles, because that would be, that would be bad in general. <laughs> but when it's coming to one of the biggest issues that I had when casting was so many of the people were like, oh, my mom's brother's cousin's autistic, or my best friend's brothers, sisters, nephews, whatever is autistic. And none of that made sense from a, from a family tree, mm-hmm. but we're not good. We're going to, we're going to ignore that. So to me, it was always about casting 
kind of casting vibes because I had I hadn't worked with any of the cast except Claire who plays Ashley before because I directed Claire in a short and she is one of the best actresses that I've ever worked with so I always try and get her on things but she wants to be a doctor and not an actor who she's always busy but yeah no so I was really casting on kind of vibes because pretty much everybody at one point in the cast had or that's in that core cast that auditioned for the role of Sam and or wanted to be Sam or done this and then we casted Sam and then there was another character that was going to be in the pilot called Colleen back when Jack was male. And that was going to be kind of like, because it's very different now, so I'm fine sharing this, but it was like, you know how like when two people that are like disabled are together or something and people try and ship them just always. Yeah. So Colleen was going to be that. And the actress that plays Jack in the pilot, you saw Kaylee was auditioning for that role. And that she was just, I just from talking with her, because she had never, she had never acted. She's autistic, and she had never acted on camera before. But just with talking from her, I knew that oh, she's who I was looking for for Jack, and so that kind of threw a wrench in my plans, and I had to rewrite the entire script to to uh, make it work, and it worked really well. People love it, so it was all about really vibes, and just because once you have the right vibes and you know that you can do it, you just. As long as you provide a safe space and for the actors, because especially because you have to get very vulnerable when you're an actor. So making sure that we had that safe space and they could be feel comfortable and it was crucial as well. And we made it work because we had to. And I mean, you saw it. So, yeah, you definitely made it work. <laughs> so, you know, when people think of disabled characters in media and TV shows and movies, a, a lot of the times the focus is on in front of the camera, you know, and I understand that. But for what's the rule, 82% of the production crew identified as disabled. So I'm really interested to get your perspective, how you thought that affected the culture of filming and being on the set. I think... Okay, so it really, really does affect the culture of filming and because you have so many more people with lived experiences in the room, you know, whether it's in the room or it's in pre-production or post or anywhere, because we had, there were so many people that touched this project and the fact that all of, like, so many of them were actually disabled was just a bonus point, but it also gave it it gives it an authenticity that you can't that you don't get with a lot of other shows that while yes they have disabled casts the writing staff isn't disabled the crew is doesn't have anybody with a disability and so when at least in my opinion when you like my working style was always like i didn't care as much for continuity where there's like there's the resource room scene for example, I'll give an example. Um, we were filming that and it was it was actually kind of tropical storming outside. So it was very, very, it was a very stressful environment as it was. And it was our last shot of the day and I believe and everybody was exhausted. And I could tell that Kaylee who played Jack was just kind of out of it. And so we were able to, because of everybody being so understanding and knowing that, yeah, we took a break, we didn't, this and also to make sure that Kaylee felt like more comfortable throughout the filming I made sure that she had a 
a little, I gave her a stress ball, which appears only in that scene, nowhere else, but it makes a huge difference in terms of performance and nobody's going to notice a little stress ball or something like that because you're too invested in the story at that point. So to get to the short answer of your question, having that authenticity behind the camera allowed for a better working environment, a faster working environment, and a more accessible working environment just for everybody, because when everybody's cognizant and aware that other people have needs, then you understand why you have to stop production for like an hour to wait rather than, oh, uh, I can't believe they're stopping production. I just want to get out of here right now. And I mean, we still managed to do that without going over a, a nine hour day, which is is long for some people, but like that's rare in the film world. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Hoping that, and I know that we're going to get to do it. Like, are going to be, I'm going to keep doing productions like that, no matter what the budget level. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get up to that 82% because I might not always have that, but there were definitely going to be a majority, I would say, of disabled cast and crew in many of the production. Not all, but because you can't, you know, I don't want to say all, but as long as it's, I'm not being hired by somebody else. It's going to be always going to be majority disabled. That makes sense. Definitely. Now, in the first episode of What's the Rule, there was a lot of dialogue between uh, two siblings, one who's autistic and one who is ADHD. It felt like the type of dialogue I might have with other neurodivergent people, but rarely have I seen this on TV. So, how do you look at communication differently when communicating with another neurodivergent person? That's a great question. I just honestly just kind of focused on like, okay, how can I make this feel like it's a conversation between when I was writing this at first, I was at college. So I'd be like, okay, how would I have this conversation with me and the other kids that I know are autistic or disabled or etc. And I would just workshop it and like making sure that Jack, because Jack has been a little more sheltered with her life, doesn't know everything that, or doesn't know as much about slang and such as Sam, but also because Sam has this anxiety that's kind of rooted in reality from my experiences. And Sam is one of my, was one of, Jack and Sam are like two of my favorite characters that I get to write because of their dynamic and how much it feels like it. And like, and for me, just adding little things like right now we're redoing the pilot for basically because I'm going to be sending it out to streaming services. And so the big thing is that we're going to like net the Netflixes, the Hulus, the HBO Maxes of the world. So, and because our we're still keeping the core context and because our world was filmed on a budget of six thousand dollars that's not the budget what hbo max or netflix or somebody's going to want for their productions right so you have to redefine the world for that and the reason i'm bringing that up is because that i think is i'm still writing that and because i'm going through that and doing that when I'm looking at how I'm going to, oh, how do I keep these characters to the core and how people fell in love with them? The first thing I look at always is, okay, 
what would a conversation with me and my sister, me and my best friend who's ADHD, because I realized after through this, I was most likely autistic because I was diagnosed at a time when you couldn't get the diagnosis. And even my psychiatrist is like, yeah, you're probably autistic. And then gave me the sheet of paper that said, oh, go here to get an autism diagnosis. And you know, you call them and they said, oh, wait list is two years. And I'm like, two years? <laughs> is it two years? Right. It's a definite. I, I treat it as a definite because I'm 95% sure I'm autistic because my doctors have said it. And, you know, like they're doctors, they know what they're talking about. But I was just diagnosed at a time when I wouldn't have been diagnosed because you couldn't do that back in the day. Because, you know, I realized, oh, I relate a lot more to Jack than Sam. I wonder. And then they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, but to me, it was like balancing like what people thought I should be talking like versus what I actually talk like as well, because, because my brain can sometimes be on like a million miles a minute, but it could also be going like two inches an hour. So, so it's like, how do you find that right balance? And we did that through, I did that through um, just figuring out what I would say in those situations. And most importantly, just listening to other people have those conversations and also TikTok was a huge help because TikTok, so many TikTokers. Now I will say that not all of them are accurate, especially on the ADHD side, but you can get a lot of that dialogue from conversations and people were doing that stuff in TikTok was just gave me when I was writing just so much, so many different perspectives as well, just scrolling through than I had ever seen before, because before I was limited to what other people, I guess, thought or I guess I was limited to like what what my own experiences were and who I followed. But TikTok with its algorithm, I just found so many amazing people and I can talk with them and you talk with them and you talk, you talk, talk, talk. And then you workshop also workshopping with the actors to make sure that everything rolls off the tongue correctly. It's interesting you mentioned TikTok because I was wondering if you had found like if there were certain shows or certain writers that you had found like inspiration from in writing uh, the characters for What's the Rule? Writing from television shows in general? Yeah. So definitely when I was doing that first draft, we were looking a lot at how I could do something like everything's going to be okay, but different in my own because I didn't like if you've watched everything you yeah gonna be okay loved you know it. That. <laughs> yeah I love it one of the things was that I didn't grow up with like a mansion that I could <laughs> live in you know and not only that but and I love so many of the stories told in that show and I'm friends with some of the people that worked on it because of this actually but I wanted to do something different and I wanted to do something with twins, so I started looking up shows about siblings and coming of age and all that stuff. Like, Edge of Seventeen usually is a big influence for me. Also, Rachel Lee Goldenberg, who directed Unpregnant and many or a few, or some of the episodes of Everything's Gonna Be Okay. She's been a great ally, and and her style is just something I love. And if one of the first things I always do is I tell whenever I start working with somebody, I say, yeah, one of the things I want to look for from visual style is Unpregnant, just because I love the way that that film looks and feels. And we're also, so her, just 17, I think a big one was 
when I was writing this, I had just started watching, or when I was rewriting it, I guess, I just started watching Community, and I don't think that's the biggest influence in there, but there's certainly some aspects of it, because Abed, I think, is, like, just one of the best autistic characters by a non-autistic actor. Abed is a human being and not a puppet, you know? (laughs) So I loved that. And I definitely think that that was a big influence on how I decided I wanted to tell the story. Some shots, like, I just take some things. There's, like, certain shots, like, a few of the shots, I was like, okay, I wanted to do... I wanted to do a shot from a uh, similar to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier because there was a shot that I liked and I don't remember if that made it, but all these different hodgepodges of places that you don't think would normally connect. But the character, I would say that the character of Ashley is very much inspired by, well, one, real people because I know too many Ashleys and it's annoying. <laughs> but also Ashley's inspired by like, Ashley's inspired by that kind of, I still think, unlike, she's not, because Ashley is a horrible person throughout, but it's also because of how she was raised, and we mentioned that, and I wanted to make sure do that differently than a lot of the things, because children are still forming their ideals and their things, and there's this idea we present that people could change, people don't change, and I think ultimately people can change, I just think that it doesn't happen overnight. You have to really, really, like, you have to hit your lowest point, and I don't think Ashley's hit her lowest point yet, at least in that version. The biggest influence of all, I think, was, to me, Never Have I Ever, because I I adore that show all my heart. I usually, when I say say it, because as we see it, it hadn't come out yet, so now when I'm pitching it, I say it's Never Have I Ever meets As We See It, because those are just two, while I do have some grace with As We See It, I overall think it's a step in the right direction for authentic representation. And I love Never Have I Ever because we take, we're we're focusing on a character that traditionally we would never focus on. And these stories from how we tell it to a lot of the look, when I was saying it, I was like, I kind of want, like, people often say that it looks muted, it looks like this, looks like that, but that was kind of my intention because I wanted to feel even though it takes place in the modern day, it's kind of an unearthed story because it's a story of people that have always been there yet never been truly acknowledged up until more recent times. And hopefully will be acknowledged because the day that I don't have to, the day that disabled people have opportunities and I don't have to be the, if I want to see disabled stories on screen, I don't have to make it myself. That'll be a very happy day for me. It feels like there's more of a push than ever to have openly autistic and neurodiverse characters in TV shows. However, I don't hear about the importance of neurodiverse writers developing scripts for these characters. So where do you think we are with having essentially the writing room involved in this process from autistic and neurodivergent folks? I believe we still have a long way to go in the writing room because also especially because the people that often green light the stuff aren't neurodivergent or disabled themselves i remember there was this one time there's this one company where we were pitching to and they're like oh my god we love it we love it we want to do it and i'm like oh my god this is perfect this is amazing and 
then they come back to me and they're like, so we'd love to replace everybody with influencers. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Goodbye. Like not autistic influencers are not neurodivergent, just influencers in general. And to me, you have to find the right balance because there are certain people that don't want to disclose. And I think that that's up to the individual person mm -hmm. because there are plenty of people that are autistic that I don't know about and they're not going to tell me because they don't want to be denied jobs and denied things. But until we have that open dialogue, you can be a part of a community without having to feel as though you're going to, if you come out publicly as autistic or if you come out as queer or as come out as anything, you're going to be blacklisted from Hollywood. That, that shouldn't, that's the case I feel as of right now, because unless you're established, it's really hard to break in because the second somebody hears it, you're like, oh, it's my cousin that has high support needs. It's kind of that person because you're not seeing that. No, no, there's a lot of autistic and especially because a lot of people are still, which is kind of ableist and it's changing slowly, but it's the idea that because they experience the world the same way that you do, that everybody must have it in a similar way. So you have so many people that are also or might just be unknowing and not have support that they could have their entire lives. And so we still have a long, long, long way to go in terms of getting disabled writers in the writers' rooms of Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Disney, all those places. But there are programs like Respectability and others that are doing a great job at getting people their starts in those places. But we don't have enough long-term data to because it's still a relatively new organization to say that people are staying there that the organizations are actually giving these support needs that they need and i want to reiterate though that i love respectability and everything that they do i know many of the people there just literally a few weeks ago i was hanging out with a bunch of them they are all fantastic and amazing but there's also this unease of okay where do we like how do we fit in because we shouldn't because we shouldn't only be brought in when you need a neurodivergent character. Right. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. That's not how it should be. It should be you're brought in because you're a fantastic writer. And even if you are a fantastic writer, that's sadly not the case because the second that somebody sees that you're disabled and it's still, it's illegal, but nobody, nobody cares in my belief. Like if you're marginalizing a community more so that doesn't have the, the means to fight back, then what are you gonna, there's nothing you can do really. And so my hope is to have more voices brought into the room and with, through authentic representation, allow people to see neurodivergence in a positive light and along with its negatives, because it's, it's not a superpower in my opinion. I used to believe that, but I don't think it is, but I still think it's a good thing and a great thing and makes me unique. But I also think that by calling it a superpower, you kind of disown a lot of what of the disability, and you're trying to hide. And it's a lot of people just trying to say, "Oh, you can do anything you set your mind to," but that's literally the opposite of what disability means. You still have a lot of those Hollywood gatekeepers wanting stories like that as well, and kind of the inspiration porn. Yeah, and I've been in the talks with some of them, and they want to bring on disabled writers so that they can say it. But the second that the, the disability rep is done. They're going to leave those projects in the dust. They're going to, or they're going to leave those artists and creatives, writers in the dust. And so my big thing is to make sure that we, as a company and as our partners, once we start doing disabled writers, we don't want to just 
hire a writer because we have a disabled character coming up. We want to hire a disabled writer because they're the best fit. And one of my favorite things, though, I, th I believe it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg that said when somebody asked her when the Supreme, when do you think like equality would be reached? And she, her response was when the Supreme Court is made up of only women. <laughs> and I think that that's just because, yeah, you don't, until you have that writer's room made up of only disabled artists, like, I would say that what's the rule is uh, only disabled artists, but I'm also the only writer right now. So that's kind of, like I'm saying, like with teams and like a Hulu or a Netflix show has only disabled artists and only disabled writers, that's when we know that we've reached true equality. When I can say, hey, 100% of the cast and crew were disabled. I'm hoping that that's sooner rather than later. Just I'm not in the position to say whether I know if that's happening anytime soon. Hopefully we're making change. Yeah. And uh, how can people learn about and watch What's the Rule? You can go to our website. That's indepmedia.com slash what's the rule. You can watch, you can go on, go to YouTube, just type in what's the rule. It's going to be either the first or one of the first to come up. And you can support us through there. You can find Patreon, support us as we continue to make content because without without the patreon i would honestly not be able to be doing everything that i'm doing so i'm grateful for everybody's support we wouldn't be able to be making this ability focus show without the patreons or any of our upcoming projects i only recently finished school which is shocking to a lot of people and now that we're doing that we have so many projects in development we've got shorts we got two features we got we got a lot of we got a few features in development we got the show we're still working on what's the rule and as what's the rule starts to take we're with the features we are so 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 excited about and so excited for people to see but in order for us to be able to afford to quit our other day jobs and continue to work on this full time we need people's support so we can make rent we can do all this stuff because i'd love to be able to focus on what's the rule and everything i'm doing everything else i'm doing in terms of disability and production full-time but i can't do it without the support of viewers like you and now i feel like pbs <laughs> well i really hope people um you know check out what's the rule i think they're gonna love it and i'm really looking forward to checking out all the things that you do in the future justin and i so thanks so much for uh joining me today yeah thank you so much for having me this was great i'm glad we finally got to do this we've been talking about this for so long <laughs> yes. this is happening and yeah i'm just happy and i guess i'm gonna thank everybody for listening to me talk for i don't know how long this has been honestly i don't have a clock or anything but i'm assuming a long time uh, not too long just a little 30 minutes not or too so long, but, <laughs> but like lo longer than what's the rule is in length i will say <laughs> Thanks so much to Justin for the conversation. To learn more about Justin, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides neurodiversity-affirming support by autistics for autistics through our customized coaching? If this is something that you're interested in learning more about, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories. And if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.